Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. I want to jump right in, and actually, I, I want to set up my thoughts this morning by reminding you just how interesting the English language is. You know, there are words and there are phrases that we use all the time without really thinking about where those words or those phrases came from. And sometimes we know where the origin is from, but sometimes we're just so used to using the phrase and we know what it means, but we don't really know why we say it. And I'll give you a couple examples. If you're around somebody and they're not very nice to you, and they sort of make it obvious they don't want to be around you, and they're trying to create some distance between you and them, you would say, they're really giving me the cold shoulder. Yeah. Does anybody know where that phrase came from? I didn't. I had to Google it. Apparently, back in the day when somebody came to visit you, if they were a good friend, you'd give them a hot meal. But if they were someone that you didn't really want to hang around very long, you gave them a cold shoulder of mutton, which I guess was a clue, saying, um, you know, we don't want you around very long, so, you know, get out of here. I promise if you give me a shoulder of mutton, I won't hang around very long. How about this one? In a competition, when someone is way ahead, there's just no chance that he's going to lose. You say, that guy won that hands down. That phrase comes from horse racing. When a horse and a jockey were so far ahead that there was no chance that another horse was going to catch him, the jockey would relax and lower his hands. And so the horse would win with the jockey's hands down. Here's another one that I think some of you should know where it came from. If something's a real close call and you say, wow, I got out of there by the skin of my teeth. Does anybody know where that came from? The Bible. It came from the Bible. Some of you should know that. It came from the Bible. It came from the book of Job. If you're reading the the, 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 uh, big interactive group, uh, Bible interactive group, um, you would have read that a couple weeks ago. Job says, I escaped the skin of my teeth. But here's the one that kind of got me thinking about this whole train of thought, and I want to sort of uh, use as we get started here this morning. If someone is really quiet, just not saying anything, just, just not even opening their mouth, you say, what's the matter with you? Has the cat got your tongue? And we all know what that means, right? If I say, what's the matter, cat got your tongue? You know, I'm saying, why aren't you saying anything? Why aren't you talking? I wondered where that phrase came from. My Googling efforts uh, didn't come up with a very definitive answer. There were a couple theories about where that phrase originated, and I've got to tell you, all of the theories that I found are a little bit disturbing. <laughs> One theory says that it originated in the Middle East, where people who were uh, accused of lying had their tongues cut out and fed to the king's cat. Yeah, that, that's not a pleasant imagery. I also read a theory that suggested there was a fear of whipping with a cat of nine tails or a cat. So you were paralyzed by fear into uh, staying quiet. So the cat got your tongue. Then I read another theory that said it really originated in the Middle Ages when people believed in witches and the power of witches. And witches were put to death. And apparently if you saw a witch, the witch's cat had the power or ability to cast a spell on your tongue, to control your tongue, so that you couldn't uh, you know, testify that you saw this witch. Yeah, I don't know exactly where the phrase came from, but we all know what it means, right? Cat got your tongue. 
I want you to remember that phrase. We're going to come back to it in just a minute. Back in the beginning of this year, 2019, we began the year by going through the Every Believer a Witness program. It's been a couple months talking about not just the responsibility that we have, but also the privilege that we have as Christians of bragging on Jesus, of just talking to people about Jesus, that we've got to be a witness for Jesus. Not to, not to you know, beat people over the head with the Bible, but just say, here's how Jesus changed my life. Here's how Jesus blessed me. And then we went straight from there into the book of Acts. Because we wanted to see, okay, how did the early church pull this off? How were they such good witnesses? You know, this brand new message. They were all brand new Christians. How did they gain such traction? How did the gospel spread so quickly? So we've been working our way through the book of Acts. Last week we were in chapter 17. We talked about Paul in the city of Athens. Today we're going to spend a little bit of time in Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18 finds Paul in the city of Corinth. In the city of Corinth, Paul is doing exactly what Paul has been doing every stop along the way, and what we'll see him do every stop this, way, this much forward. He's talking about Jesus. That's what Paul does. He talks about the Lord. But in chapter 18, something different happens. The Lord talks to Paul. And this morning, I want to focus on what it is the Lord said to Paul, because I think it's important for Paul to have heard it, but I know it's important for us to hear it as well. Again, Paul is in the city of Corinth. In this city, just like every city that he's in, there's a lot of people who listen to him and believe. There, there are people who believe in Jesus. And just like about every city that he's in, there's people who hear his message and they're like, no, no. And he faces some opposition in the city of Corinth. But here's the verse that I want to focus on. It's Acts chapter 18. It's a couple verses, actually. Uh, verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. The Lord comes to Paul in a vision. And his message is pretty concise. Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. Don't be afraid. You know, I never really thought of Paul as a fearful Christian. I mean, Paul is the guy who was slandered and threatened and beaten and imprisoned and shipwrecked and stoned. He doesn't seem to be afraid of very many things. And yet in chapter 18, God goes out of his way to speak to Paul. And this special deliverance message is... Don't let the cat get your tongue. Don't be silent. Speak out. But Paul, don't be afraid. God tells him, don't be afraid. And apparently Paul needed the encouragement that he got in verse 9. In that verse, God gives uh, Paul a charge. Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. In the very next verse, he gives him some promises. For I am with you, and no one will harm you. Because many people here in this city belong to me. God comes to Paul and he says, don't be afraid. Don't let the cat get your tongue. Keep talking. You know when he says, um, speak out, don't be silent, he's saying the same thing, right? He's doubling down on that. You keep talking. You keep being a witness. But I don't want you to be afraid. And then in the next verse, he tells him why he shouldn't be afraid. Because I'm with you. I'm going to protect you. You're not alone. Paul's given a command and then is given a reason to obey the command. 
Now, believe it or not, that's as far as we're going in the book of Acts this morning. Don't get excited. That's not as far as the sermon is going this morning. But that's as far as we're going in the book of Acts. Because this morning I want to spend a little bit of time talking about fear. So many people's lives seem to be controlled by fear. And I think we desperately need the same encouragement and we need to hear these same promises uh, that Paul heard uh, in, in this vision in Acts chapter 18. And when it comes to us talking about Jesus, when it comes to the cat getting our tongue, we need to be reminded, don't be afraid. Don't be quiet. Speak out. I'm with you. I'm going to protect you. You're not alone. Now, Jesus actually has quite a bit to say on the subject of fear. But on the surface, sometimes it looks like Jesus doesn't give us enough information on the subject of fear. Quite often when Jesus speaks about fear, he'll do it in two words. Fear not. (laughs) Okay. Jesus, I need a little more here. Okay? Fear not. Okay. Need a little more. Need a little more? Good. I'll expound on that. I'll use three words. Don't be afraid. No, I need more than that. Why don't you teach me something about fear, Jesus? Because it's so real in my life. Jesus says, okay, I'll teach you something about fear. And he does it in several places. Uh, We'll look at two this morning. One place where he talks about fear and then another place where he actually shows us how to handle fear. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. This is Jesus talking. He says, and do not fear those who kill the body. Wait, what? Do not fear those who kill the body. Jesus, that's like my greatest fear, right? Like that's what I fear most. Someone that can kill me. You know, if I'm listing my fears in order, that's going to be right at the top of the list. Do not fear those who kill the body. But then he goes on to say this, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. See, when Jesus talks about fear, what we want him to say is, don't worry. Everything's okay. Nothing bad's going to happen. But that's not what he says. What he says is, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. What you should be fearful of is the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Okay, what exactly does that mean? What are you talking about, Jesus? See, this idea about fear and dealing with fear, it is so important. Because as I said, so many people are consumed with fear about something. And I would almost guarantee that for some of you in the audience this morning, this isn't just theory that we're talking about. This isn't just some intellectual conversation that we're having. There are some of you right now who are thinking, yeah, that's me, I'm I'm afraid. There are things going on in my life right now that that make me very fearful. This is a real part of my life. So Jesus goes on and and he says this. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And of course, I'm just going to have to take his word on that one. And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. That's quite a bit of detail, isn't it? Jesus, are you saying that God pays that close of attention to my life and what's going on in my life? Does God get that interested in the details of my life? And Jesus says, absolutely. 
That's exactly what I'm saying. God knows what's going on. He knows when a bird dies. God knows it. What Jesus is trying to tell us is, it's your heavenly Father who has the final say on everything. Even when you don't understand it, it's God who has the final word on everything. So he says in verse 31, Do not fear, therefore, you're of more value than many sparrows. Okay, quick review. Bad things happen to good people. Don't be afraid. Sometimes really bad things happen to really good people. Don't be afraid. Jesus does not sugarcoat it. Bad things are going to happen. But he says, remember, your father knows what's going on. And your father knows what he's doing. And your father wants you to know that he knows how hard life is. And he wants you to know that he knows how valuable you are. You're not a couple birds. You're so much more valuable than that. So don't be afraid. And then in another place, Jesus gives his disciples and us this real-life demonstration on how to deal with fear. He takes them on this kind of visual aid boat ride. It's a very famous story in the life and times of Jesus. It's found in Matthew as well. If you back up to Matthew chapter 8. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Listen, if you're a Christian, I suspect that's your greatest fear. If you're a Christian, that's probably what keeps you up at night. Hey, I'm in trouble here. Uh, I, I'm struggling. I need help. I'm afraid, and Jesus is asleep. He's not paying attention. I'm going through a storm. You know, maybe it's a, a health storm or a, a financial storm, a relationship storm, a marriage storm, a, you know, something, a job storm. I, I'm going through a storm here. I'm scared to death. I'm praying like crazy. And Jesus isn't paying attention to me. God's nowhere to be found. Listen, if you've ever felt like that, if maybe you feel like that right now, you need to know you're not the first to feel that way. These people who were probably closer to Jesus than anyone, they felt that same way. Hey, we're in trouble. We're all about to die, and Jesus is six feet away. <laughs> and he's not doing anything. He's sound asleep. When you feel that maybe God is distant, when you feel like, you know what, God's not paying attention to me right now, when you feel like you have been calling out to the Father and you have been praying to God and you have been seeking for some kind of relief or answer or something and He doesn't speak and He doesn't act and He doesn't even seem like He's paying attention, this story is for you. If you ever feel like that, that God is not with me right now, you need to remember this story. You're not alone. It's not as bad as you think. You're not the first person to feel this. You're not the first person to fear this. Because we know how that story ends. Verse 25. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Well, let me tell you why we're so afraid. 
Because all the water that's outside the boat is now inside the boat. We're so afraid because we've grown up on the water and we know what happens when storms like this cause this kind of thing. We're afraid because we know people who have died in storms like this. We're afraid because we can't get out of this situation. We're afraid because we read the newspaper. We know what happens. People in this kind of situation, they don't talk about it later because they're not alive later. That's why we're afraid. Why wouldn't we be afraid? This is such a powerful story. Not just because of what happens in the story, but because of what it means for us. There's a reason why 2,000 years later we're still talking about this story. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves. It was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of a man is this? Of course, the answer is, this is no man. This is the Son of God. This is someone who has power over, control over even nature. And don't think for a minute that Jesus is just showing off here. Jesus is performing this miracle, I think, to teach those uh, few men in that boat a lesson, but I also think he's performing this miracle to teach us a lesson as well, a lesson that will stand the test of time. Listen, if you don't get anything else out of what I say this morning, uh, get this. In the middle of the what that causes us to fear, there is a who that says, look at me. In the middle of the what, whatever that is, that's causing you to fear, there is a who that says, look at me. And in that moment, for those men in in the boat... Their focus went from the what of the storm to the who of the one who had power over the storm. Their focus went from the what of the wind and the waves and all the things they couldn't control. Their focus went from the what of all the danger, all the scenarios that were going through their mind, all the ways this could play out, none of them good. Their focus went from the what of the storm to the who of the one who has control over the storm. And you see it in their response. The way they respond to the miracle. These guys in the boat, they don't say, wow, did you see that storm? That was a storm. That was some crazy storm. I've never seen a storm blow up that way. I've never seen a storm just die down that way. I thought we were going to die in the storm. That was quite a storm. That's not what they say. What they say is, what kind of man is this? They're not focused on the storm now. Their entire focus is on the man. Their entire focus is on Jesus. If there is anyone who demands and deserves our attention, if there's anyone that we should fear, it's not the storm the one who has control over the storm. What kind of man is this? Now, we spent the last several weeks talking about the Apostle Paul. Paul was not on the boat that day. John was, Peter was, James was. Paul wasn't there. But we know by the time we get to the book of Acts and Paul is sharing the gospel, he is completely focused on Jesus. And we've seen it and we'll continue to see it. That is Paul's focus. That is Paul's message. 
Jesus Christ. His message everywhere he went was, you killed him, God raised him, he's alive, he's coming back, repent. That's just his message. You killed him, God raised him, he's alive, he's coming back, repent. You killed him, God raised him, he's alive, he's coming back, repent. You killed him, God raised him, he's alive, he's coming back, repent. You killed him, God raised him, he's alive, he's coming back, repent. Because Paul, this apostle born out of season, Paul, this guy who endured so much suffering, who endured so much, uh, uh, so many problems and setbacks, who had so much reason to fear, understood the message that Jesus was trying to teach those other men in the boat that night. I think it's the same message that Jesus is trying to teach us. The someone replaced the something. That night in the boat for those men, the someone replaced the something. And when our faith in someone exceeds our fear of something, then we're equipped to handle fear. And we're equipped to deal with fear. When our faith in someone exceeds our fear of something, then we can deal with our fear. There is someone who overwhelms the something. Let's go back to Acts chapter 18 as we wrap up. Let's let's go back right where we started. Uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack or harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. God comes to Paul in a vision and says, don't let the cat get your tongue, Paul. You keep speaking. You don't be silent. And I don't want you to be afraid. Yeah, life is hard. Life can be really frustrating. Life can be very uncertain. Life can be scary. But I don't want you to be afraid because I'm with you. I'm right here with you. You're not alone. And there are others who are with you as well. There are Christians who are here. I'm not distant. I'm not unaware. I'm not uncaring. I'm not asleep on a boat somewhere. I'm right here. So Paul stays a year and a half there in Corinth teaching them the Word of God. Now, later on, Paul would write some letters back to these same people who were living in Corinth. These people he spent 18 months with He writes to the church there. He knows these people. He cares about them deeply. Look at how he opens the very first letter that he writes back to this church. From Paul, who was called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Sothenes. By the way, Sothenes appears in Acts chapter 18. To the church of God, which is in Corinth. And of course, Paul would have remembered his time in Corinth. He was there a year and a half. And Paul certainly would have remembered Corinth was the place where God appeared to me in a vision and said, don't be afraid, I'm with you. To the church of God which is in Corinth, to all who are called to be God's holy people, who belong to Him in union with Christ Jesus, together with all people everywhere who worship our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Paul opens this letter to the Corinthians with the exact same truth that he was told in that vision. 
don't be afraid. You're not alone. I'm with you. Don't be silent. He tells him you're God's holy people and you belong to Him in union with Christ Jesus. And then notice how Paul ends his last letter to this same group of Christians that he knew so well. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the very end of that chapter, the end of that book. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I think if he were talking to us, he'd say, greet one another with a big smile and a handshake. Maybe a hug. But I don't know, he might say, greet each other with a holy kiss. He might still tell us that. I will tell you, I'm not there yet. Okay? You know, after service, I'm just just so you know, I'm not there yet. All the saints send their greetings. And then notice the last thing that Paul writes to these Christians. These brothers and sisters living in this city where he spent a great deal of time. He knows them well. The city where God reminded him, don't be afraid, you're not alone. As far as we know, this is the last uh, words these believers hear from the Apostle Paul. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's a good way to end. May the grace of Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Do you think maybe you could handle fear a little easier if you realized the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is here with me. Do you think it'd be a little easier to handle fear then? Not eliminate it. You know, not discount it. Just to handle it a little bit better. Knowing that the grace of Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with me. When someone replaces the something, we can start to handle fear a little easier. When our faith in someone exceeds our fear of something. Fear doesn't paralyze us anymore. And fear doesn't control us anymore. So, we're still talking about being a witness. We're still talking about telling people our Jesus story. Don't let the cat get your tongue. Don't be silent. Keep speaking. Don't be afraid. Jesus isn't asleep in the boat. He's right here with us. The grace of Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit should be enough to get us through the week. If we can help you in any way as a church family this morning, we've got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement. If we can pray with you or for you, there'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium. You can meet us there. Let's stand and sing.